This podcast is brought to you by MyScoreIQ. MyScoreIQ services are here to help you be prepared when it comes to making big financial decisions, such as buying or refinancing your home or purchasing that new car. Try it out for only $1 for a seven-day trial. You'll receive your FICO scores from all three major credit bureaus, along with active credit report monitoring and alerts for changes to your credit report and possible suspicious activity. My Score IQ services can help you be in the best position possible when you take that step to apply for a home or auto loan, all for $1 for a seven-day trial. Visit MyScoreIQ.com forward slash Todd to learn more. That's MyScoreIQ.com forward slash Todd. Welcome back to this week's Talking Stocks podcast. Joe and Todd with you as always. Todd, crazy busy week, but we've got a a little bit of a respite on Friday here. Good Friday, at least for the for the markets. How are you? How are you holding up over there? It's a very good Friday because the markets are closed, right? And we can actually catch up on all the insanity that has been the past week. Um, yeah, you know, it's, a, it's a good Friday too, because I know you got, uh, you got your first shot yesterday, was it? And I, I just scheduled to get mine next Friday. So very they exciting. Open, so they, op- they opened it up in New Hampshire to, the, to younger people? Yeah, they, so they opened it up this morning uh, to ages 16 plus and I, mm-hmm. I registered and then I, I got an email from the university at about 11 this morning, this is the University of New Hampshire, saying that they were uh, going to be putting on a vaccine clinic next week, Thursday and Friday, and I got an appointment. So my, my, my appointment through the state was going to be on the 29th and I got bumped up to the 9th, so I'm thrilled. It's coming fast and furious. Yeah, it was a it little is. bit of a long line for me. We, it still amazes me, Joe, that there's not a center in every town. Yeah. You know, the fact that I had to travel to the neighboring town with, you know, I mean, it was probably like 700, 800 cars in line. I, I was joking on Twitter that I haven't waited in a line in a car for that long since I went to Pink Floyd in 1992. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Whatever. Looking at that, it, it reminded me of like the mass exodus from like a Patriots game or something, you know? <laughs> Right. It's like I need somebody to hold up the line so I can drive under it or something, you know, yeah, I don't know. Exactly. But, uh, but yeah, so I uh, got my first shot and I'm feeling fine. Nope, Good. No, nothing yet. I get, I got the Moderna shot. I don't know if listeners out there, if you've gotten the Moderna or the Pfizer or, or what you've gotten, but you know, they say the second one is a little bit more of a, a gauntlet. So we'll see how it goes from here. I'll know at the end of the month. And then the other thing I was going to say, Joe, is that, you know, I suppose next year we ought to plan this out, right. And actually film it on April 1st so that we can do some sort of crazy April Fool's joke. Oh, well, we're not supposed to tell the listeners about that, Todd. <laughs> Jeez, we're supposed to surprise them. Right. Yeah, we, we, missed, we missed April Fool's, but I, I was actually thinking yesterday, like, I, I feel like April Fool's has like lost some of its relevance because we're so used to just crazy things showing up in the news. Like all this, all this with all this GameStop stuff now, I don't know what we could possibly say to like fool our listeners. Yeah, because, well, maybe everything that we say could fool our listeners. Perhaps, <laughs> perhaps. Right? Maybe, we'll just, maybe we'll just release thing. 40 minutes of just complete and utter falseness. Right, right. <laughs> you know, Elon Musk makes alien contact. They buy dodgy coin. <laughs> yeah, this time two ships block the Suez Canal. <laughs> 
Right. And we have some news on that to update listeners to. I mean, obviously last week we talked about the blockage in the Suez Canal and how that could create some reverberations. And uh, lo and behold, Mother Nature, tides coming in and a whole lot of shovels, right, Joe? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The little, the, the little excavator next to the big ship that made it look like a sandbox toy, but it worked. It's free. And yeah, so there was a bit of a bit of a response in oil prices this week, right? Yeah, we first, when the news, we had talked last week that when the news comes out, you probably see a slight dip. We did, we saw a very slight dip, very slight, because very quickly, all the chatter swapped over to, hey, what's OPEC going to do with their guidance on, you know, whether or not they're going to, you know, keep the spigot open to the degree that it's open right now for production, or are they going to open it wide? They have the ability, obviously, to, to severely ratchet up and ratchet back up and down there their production and that so they can control global oil prices. The news we got out of OPEC on Monday was encouraging that they're in no rush despite any kind of overhang from the Suez Canal blockage kind of slowing up oil that's trans being transported worldwide across uh, these big tankers or whatever. They showed no real incentive to um, get overly aggressive in opening up that spigot. And I think that you will see over time that happen. I mean, you're going to have shale operators that screen very well for us in the research, by the way. Um, you're going to have see shale operators starting to open up their production to take advantage of higher prices and stuff. And so eventually you'll start to see some price moderation. But for now, we remain in that sweet spot. You know, energy remains a high scoring sector for us. April historically is a pretty seasonally strong period for oil stocks and on a relative basis. The XLE uh, ETF tends to generate a pretty pretty nice spread to the SPX, the S&P 500, in the month of April. So it'll be interesting to see if that follows through. And if it does, then high-scoring stocks like Diamondback, symbol there's FANG, which I happen to own. I like it a lot. That could go because it's a Permian player, and Permian production is pretty cheap. So yeah, there's been some interesting developments in the oil front. And um, so far, nothing that, would, that necessarily scares me away from the basket. Uh, but again, these are cyclicals, so they're rentals. So anybody who's investing in them needs to have a pretty tight leash on them. Right. We talked about, uh, I don't even remember now if it was last week or the week before on the show when we talked about uh, Q2 seasonality, and then we uh, released that, uh, the short version of that again on Monday. Uh, we talked about, <clears throat> excuse me, we talked about oil uh, and just generally energy stocks and while everything tends to perform pretty well in April, energy stocks tend to be like toward the top of the heap with that. So definitely something to keep in mind now that we are uh, now that we are in the midst of Q2. So yeah, crazy, right? We flipped the calendar. So now there's a whole lot. Yeah. There's a whole lot of things for us to be considering on strategy and where to play from here. And it's am I right that? Uh, the scores, all of the scores changed a little bit in this past week to reflect that seasonality. Absolutely. So members, yeah. free, free link below, right? So members, you can go on to um, Limelight Alpha, Seeking Alpha, on Seeking Alpha, Limelight Alpha, Top Stocks for Tomorrow. And you're going to be able to now see the scores reflecting historical second quarter seasonality. So we do that usually the, either the very final days of the, of the calendar quarter or the very first days of the calendar quarter. This year, it just so happened to coincide that right now, all the scores that will go up in the reports that I post today will reflect the seasonality. 
So um, yeah, that's going to affect some leadership. You can see a lot of new stocks jumping in and jumping out. Yeah. So generally speaking, that that seasonality has a pretty big impact on the scores. Is that accurate to say? I would say that it's enough of an impact where it can start to affect tailwinds or headwinds to a basket. So, I mean, there are certain baskets like I'm watching healthcare because it's at the bottom of the sector ranking, but it actually has relatively strong uh, seasonality. Sure enough, flipping to the seasonality, it's still on the bottom of the ranking. So, so no, it's, it's, I mean, it's big enough where it can make, it can impact it on the margin enough where you should be paying attention to the scores in the first, in the first week or two. Um, but I am going to be watching that to see whether or not now we flow through on some of the other metrics, start to attract some money, positive money flow, and when the earnings reports come out, if they start to look a little bit better, and see whether or not those scores start to travel up over the course of the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, definitely worth, definitely worth checking those reports out today. Sure. So uh, let's pivot a little bit. I want to talk about the S&P, because if you were paying attention yesterday, and even if you weren't, you might have heard about it anyway. Um, the S&P hit 4,000 for the first time, which is um, an, an all-time high by all means, and is uh, quite, quite a different picture than what's happening with the NASDAQ right now. So we, we just wanted to, wanted to bring that up today and kind of compare and contrast the two a little bit and maybe get some insight on where we're going from here. So take it away, Todd. Yeah, so I just pulled up the chart. Uh, so if you're listening on one of the podcast platforms, we do post these to YouTube if you want to see the charts and be able to see what we're looking at. And um, Joe, yeah, you can see that chart that I have up here. Sure can. Yeah, okay. So this is the S&P 500. And as Joe's saying, we just cleared that 4,000 for the first time ever. I mean, look at this monthly chart. I mean, from the, whew, from the lows in 2009, from 666 to 4,000. Crazy. That's a thing. So here we are on the S&P. <laughs> Amazing <laughs> period. Amazing period. Here we are in the S&P and we're clearing out that prior resistance high of 39.83.87. Uh, we did it on relatively light volume. So we're going to have to watch and see what happens with volume from here. Oftentimes when we break out, we get a little bit of a pullback and then we accelerate off of it. So it'll be interesting to see whether or not we can continue to just build off of this when everybody gets back on Monday or not. The look of that though is quite different than if I pull up the NASDAQ composite, which you can see on the NASDAQ composite, we had that peak in February at 14,200, retreated all the way to 12,400, rallied back up to the 50 day, kind of failed, rolled over, rallied to the 50 day moving average again, rallied and fell over. And now we've rallied up and we're testing it again. Maybe this will be the third time as a charm and we'll be able to clear that. But again, the volume is not overly exciting. Uh, we have this 50 day moving average resistance. And what's interesting here, Joe, is it's been kind of a, it kind of reinforces to me that this has been kind of a tale of two tapes. If you were a technology investor, the first quarter was tough. And March, uh, that February, mid-February on period was very tough. And if you were an aggressive tech investor, meaning that you were playing with a lot of, you know, SPACs or pre-revenue stuff or whatever, typically they don't screen very well in our research. But if you were buying those, um, you really took it on the chin a little bit. And that's quite a different setup on the NASDAQ than we saw in the S&P, which kind of really didn't pull back much at all, two or three percent, and then rallied and is now breaking out to new highs. 
And that's because, of course, the S&P 500 is more of a diversified across more uh, industry sectors that are exposed to different times or in the business cycle. So, I mean, you've got more industrials, more basic materials, more energy stocks, more transport stocks, more other things in the S&P 500 than you do, say, in the NASDAQ uh, 100, you know, which is dominated mostly by, you know, big cap technology type players or in the NASDAQ comp, which, of course, has tons of different um, technology oriented stocks in it. And, you know, if you were watching the research ranking, you know, technology has been sliding. It's been sliding consistently probably since, I don't know, Jeff, December? Yeah, yeah at, at least then, I think. Yeah, and, and, you know, the thing to watch here is whether or not we start to see that re-exert back up the ranking. You know, there are strong individual technology stocks that you can buy you know, in, in our research, but the sector overall still has some headwinds that have, that, that, that have to, um, they have to clear. And, you know, that's very different than say, if you were looking at, you know, energy stocks, which did pull back in the last few weeks, but again, I feel like they, most of them held their 50 day moving averages and are turning back off of that. But a lot of these other baskets outside of technology, you know, be it industrials or, you know, your consumer goods score pretty high for us as well. And some of these other baskets. So I think that the way that, you know, we had this great conversation with um, Jeffrey Hirsch of Stock Traders Almanac a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the seasonal post-election year uh, tendency or probability for weakness in March. Typically, post-election years, March for the NASDAQ is much weaker than it is in a regular uh, regular year. And sure enough, we mirrored that. And if you look at that as your analog, it would then say, oh, we, we're looking good April through at least April, May, and into June, uh, depending on the sector you're talking about or the basket you're talking about. Uh, April and May, especially for the NASDAQ, is usually better than usual on the NASDAQ in a post-election year. So I'm kind of, right now, the way I'm modeling, I've been doing my project rotate where I'm putting more stocks into the portfolio from kind of these other areas outside of technology. And then my thinking is, okay, we rolled into the end of March. I spent down all my cash to about 3%, only about 3% left in cash. So I'm positioned, fingers crossed, for a bullish move from here. My feeling would be that that bullish move maybe gets us into May and I should be starting to lighten back up in May again, raising my cash position up and then kind of preparing for a tough third quarter. Uh, obviously that's gonna be, you know, dependent on data dependent, Joe, right? But my thinking right now is okay, you know, so far so good. Um, I deployed the cash into the names that I want. Let's see if these things run for the next you know, six, eight weeks. If they do use that maybe to unwind them into prior resistance, maybe their old highs, or maybe they, you know, rallies up to the 50 day and they start to fall over again or whatever, and sort of lighten up and, um, and get myself, you know, repositioned towards cash again for maybe a bargain again later in the year. But again, we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see on on Monday because this morning we got just an absolute blowout jobs report. I have it up here. So um, non-farm payrolls rose by 916,000 in the month of March. So the that puts the unemployment rate at about 6% now. So it's 
I'm I'm bummed out that <laughs> that the markets are closed today because it would have been it would have been fun to see. I I think that I think that we would have we would have had some uh, some S and P to the moon tweets. <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm interested to hear if you if you think there are going to be some tailwinds for that or if people are going to forget in another uh, 72 hours or so. Yeah, I'm not sure how much jobs are driving the, the car right now when it comes to the market, only because, I mean, the expectation is that, yeah, jobs are going to bounce back because the Fed is actually pumping a tanker full. Now I can get the tankers across the Suez. It's so much, so much liquidity, right, uh, into money supply. And, you know, that is bullish for job growth. And, you know, if you look at our research, Joe, uh, staffing stocks um, score very high. Um, you know, so, I mean, you could look at something like a, a paychecks, you could look at, um, uh, on assignment, ASGN is another one. The screen's pretty high manpower screens, pretty solid for us. I mean, you could take a look at some of those staffing plays and some of those, you know, kind of payroll providers and stuff. And, you know, hard to believe that they're not going to see some pretty good, pretty good, um, momentum for their businesses from here. So just taking it on a more granular level. On the macro level, though, I, again, I don't know how much of this is already built in. Certainly interesting, though, right? That you a year ago saying, you know, going from a negative twenty-something percent GDP print, and you know, fifty. Whatever the stupid number it was, craziest unemployment number. I have to pull it up the chart. I don't remember what it is, but unemployment number. To think that we're already back into the sixes on unemployment with. Um, a lot of tailwinds suggesting that um, that employment's going to continue to climb from here, and of course that's good for wages, that's good for discretionary income, and you can make the argument that that's good for stocks, but it also means Joe potential inflation. You know, yes, it does. we yeah, we it, talked about that in again can't remember if it was last week or the week before, but it was the it was the same episode where we talked about um, GD, GDP growth. And yeah, we, I, I brought up the, the concern, especially among, um, in like the, the macro economist community right now about inflation and what that, what that might mean. And we, we kind of just concluded that, well, for right now, there's no real reason to be concerned, but it's certainly something to, to watch out for in the same way that when our overbought indicator is, is flashing, you know, big bright red lights at you, it doesn't necessarily mean okay, sell everything. It's it's just kind of a it's it it shouldn't be a, a red light really. It should be a yellow light, kind of a kind of a yield sign, right? Yeah, everything is more nuanced, right? We should you know I, I mean there are some people probably that go all in and go out all out you know on a weekly basis or maybe even a daily basis if that's their style. But I mean I, I take a more nuanced approach where it's more like trying to turn a freighter, if you will. You know, it's got to take slow and you sort of direct it kind of opposite of whatever the, the conventional wisdom would be. And typically that ends up paying off um, with, with greater returns. Um, inflation obviously, you know, ticks up. That's going to make people start to think, okay, inflation is ticking up. That means Powell's going to have to tap the brakes when it comes to money, so, you know, uh, by, by tightening the Fed funds rate. So, you know, all of those in since the market's forward looking, I mean, you know, I mean, so these, this is where we get, it gets very interesting. This is no longer kind of like the Stan Weinstein stage two type market, maybe where everything is just going and going, and going, and you can buy every pullback because you know, it's going to get bought. I mean, at some point you're going to enter stage three and potentially move into stage four 
where you buy those pullbacks and guess what? The stocks keep going lower and lower and lower. It's another reason, you know, Joe, we love to say this on the show, don't use margin, right? Yeah. Don't use leverage because I mean, you, you can buy great stocks and if you're on uh, margin or using leverage, it won't matter. Those stocks fall and they're gonna get called away from you or, or whatever, you're gonna get forced liquidated. You're not gonna be able to own them anymore. So. Um, I think that, that I think we're definitely moving from that very early stage of the the market run into something more mature. And with that, that's going to have to make some people spend some time doing some some thoughts, spending some time on their their risk management strategy. Absolutely, yeah. And one one thing I would just add to that is we we've said this before and hinted at it many many times, but just to reiterate because I I I see and hear about people doing it all the time. Don't don't make decisions based off of your your emotions. What I mean by that is when you see some news, like you you see this this jobs number and you say, oh, 916,000, big number. And you go out and you say, big number, that means buy, buy, buy. It's like, that's, that's, that's caveman talk right there. I'm, I'm dumbing it down a little bit, but the, the, the point is don't, and more importantly, the reverse of that is when you hear some bad news, people tend to sell, sell, sell. And you see this on Twitter and Reddit and just in social circles all the time. People just, they, they pivot their, their portfolio to all cash or like all bonds so quickly. And there's, there's almost never a time where you actually want to do that. The other thing I just want to say, Todd, is uh, you owe me a dime for every uh, container ship reference you make from now on. Uh, and I'm going to be very rich very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to ship those over to you. Uh, oh, there you go. There you go. Perfect. In a container ship at this rate. Hopefully it gets here and, and doesn't get stuck. <laughs> so I, I know you wanted to talk about uh, the ARC space ETF. Um, I think we touched on this back in maybe January or February, uh, a while ago, but um, pun intended, that ETF has has lifted off, hasn't it? I think that what's interesting about this, and it's, you know, ARC obviously has a lot of, let me just share my screen again, so you can see this chart, Joe. <laughs> and listeners, look at that. You know, it's only been trading for three days. To the moon. 20, 20 Space days. ETF to the moon. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, this is a very interesting and in, in um, because it's one of the first in that space. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, I think that you know, you look at the holdings that there are some holdings that probably make people go, "What? Why is John Deere in a space ETF? And and why is Netflix in a space ETF?" And you know, I, I think that you do have to connect some dots to, to make that argument, but it's really all about satellites, Joe. So when we're talking about space, we're not necessarily talking about, okay, populating the moons of yeah, Jupiter, we're right? Not necessarily like the, the Virgin Galactic and SpaceX sort of plays, right? Right, it can be, it can, yep. and space is in there, right? But I think that we have to understand that it also is uh, investing in companies that benefit from a great, uh, from satellite deployment. You know, I mean, if you look at Netflix, Joe, you might get this number. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put you on the spot. See if you, see if you know it. <clears throat> How many people worldwide do not have reliable internet? Do not have reliable internet. Um, 
definitely <laughs> not as many as I probably think. Uh, I'll go with two billion. All right. So lis listeners, come up with your own number in your head. Five, four, three. I'm so far off. I know it already. Two, one. 3.8 billion. <clears throat> oh, okay. A little I, bit I, can, I can accept that margin of error. 1.8 million margin of error. All right, you'll accept it. Um, I, I, that, is, that was astounding to me. You know, that half of, of the world still doesn't have, you know, reliable access to internet. So you look at that and you say, okay, well, deploying these satellites that can then bridge the gap and provide internet is actually pretty good for the consumption of internet content. And if you assume that it's good for the consumption of internet content, then a natural extension of that, it would be good for online entertainment. Absolutely. And therefore, a company like Netflix, where it would, you know, has a total addressable market that is expanding because satellite deployment is allowing more people to access the internet. So there's the argument for that one. John Deere, it's more about uh, in Trimble, which is TRMB, TR. I'll have to look up the symbol here. Um, Trimble, which is kind of like, they're more based on um, the navigation TRMB. <clears throat> they're most more based on the navigation component that satellites allow. So GPS coordinates to control your John Deere equipment in the field. Maybe you don't have really great access to, again, a network that you can use to control uh, these, <clears throat> these machines in your fields and increasing satellite coverage would then give that to you. So that, that's why something like a John Deere would be in there. And then one stock I would call out to investors because it's very high scoring our research is L3 Harris Technologies. The symbol there is LHX, Joe. And that's a top five holding for the ARC, um, for the ARC space ETF as well. So if you're looking for, hey, where are some stocks in there that maybe I could tuck in my portfolio that also screen really well and in limelight stuff, then um, L3 Harris Tech, LHX would be one that I would throw in the mix. Yeah, so based off of what you've seen in the, in, in the obviously extremely bullish movement from ARC over the past, what did you say, three days? Is that, are, can, can somebody be confident investing in that right now or is it just so crazy volatile that you wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole or somewhere in between those two yeah it's all about horizon right absolutely if, if, if your time horizon is 20 years then i, I buy it I, I i i would buy it i mean i can't tell anybody else what to do i don't know their financial situation right you know full disclaimers right you know um but you know if your time horizon is a day or two who knows Right. right. I mean, because, you know, you're, this is going to be volatile as heck. This thing is going to have days where it's up 6%, it's down 7%. It could get cut in half if the market goes south. And I mean, none of these come, well, I shouldn't say that. Some of the more, the older companies that are being shoehorned, if you will, into it, they have profitability, they have real businesses or whatever that aren't reliant solely on space. But the strict space plays, you know, those things are still kind of high pie in the sky um, kind of ideas. So I think that, you know, buyer be aware, you know, the, you know, these things are going to be volatile and these stocks could go down significantly. And if you're buying something like this, you're taking a flyer, you're, you're betting on, you know, the industry taking off over the next 10 to 20 years. And I assume there are going to be companies that are 10 X companies as far as returns, but I can't tell you when, you know, I have no idea. 
but this is it is it's a it's an amazing potential opportunity i just i think there'll be a lot of bumps and bruises along the way though yeah it'll be it'll be fun to watch and i'll i'll certainly be watching it i know you will be too and yeah if if something if something crazy happens we'll be talking about it again for certain so finally this week uh we want to pivot into our uh, kind of an alternative smattering of stocks this week. Todd, I know you wanted to pull up uh, specifically the large cap uh, report. So you can go ahead and do that and just kind of walk us walk us through what you wanted to go over. Right. So on the service, we break the universe up into ADRs, large cap, mid cap, and small cap. And this is the large cap report that we're looking at that gets posted onto that Seeking Alpha, Limelight Alpha um, service. And you'll see that, you know, ranks the sector. So still industrials, financials, rates, consumer energy at the top, not much would change, even with the shift in seasonality, basics, technology, and healthcare still at the bottom. So that's telling you need to be stock specific in those groups. Where up top, you can be a little bit more fire hosey and grab, you know, general uh, ETFs and everything else. Maybe down below, you want to be a little bit more selective. One of the things that I always like to do, and I would recommend that our listeners who are members also do, is every week we highlight the stocks that are making the biggest jump in score for that current week so that you can have you know, a shorter list of new ideas to see if it meets the criteria for, you, for, for your portfolio. So I just want to go through and just highlight in the large cap because we did just flip to a new quarter. So that has put, produced some, some changes in the best and worst ranking for individual stocks. So I just want to pull a few of those up and look at them. Uh, and in large cap, the first one that I've got highlighted as a big mover is Equifax. And yeah, I like this setup a lot. You know, you've got a company that's growing 23% year over year in the fourth quarter. Um, you've got that nice little W set up and it's coming up into the 185 resistance, pulled back a little bit, had a nice reversal day yesterday. Yeah, if you can clear 185 on Equifax, that's looking pretty good. And Joe, uh, 2022 earnings per share estimate is 7.91, also up more than 20% um, year over year. So that would be the first one for your watch list that you could consider pulling up. And if I go back to large cap here, and Sempra Energy is the next one. And this is not a bad setup either. Uh, you've got a cup, big cup here with a handle. Uh, stocks growing for, you know, for a natural gas utility to be growing 8% year over year, that's pretty solid. So utilities, mid single digits to high single digits, that's fine. Uh, earnings per share in 2022 going to 853 from 808 this year. And um, yeah, so that's another one that you might want to have on your list. Baxter is another high scoring stock this week, jumped to the past week. And this is a good setup. I actually kind of like this setup a lot where you have that it, that long base underneath the 200-day moving average where it kept trying and trying and trying, Joe. And then it finally crossed above the 200, rallies up, and now is retreating back to the 200 at the same time that the 21-day moving average and the 50-day moving average are curling up to cross back over. So it'd be very interesting. I would, I think you that's a stock you can buy in the low 80s, maybe 82-ish. 81 to 82, if you can get it, maybe take it there because then you could stop out if you're wrong below 80 without a lot of pain. Um, Baxter growing 5% year over year, nothing nothing great, but nothing bad, but the earnings of growth is a lot better, 17% expected in 2022. Another one I happen to own this one personally is Centene, CNC, again, 
that healthcare space has strong seasonal tailwinds, but the basket itself still ranks poorly in our work. So you really have to be in, in a single stock specific in the healthcare basket right now. But Centene does Medicaid and Medicare uh, ins Advantage Insurance. And you know if your assumption is that access to Medicaid and Medicare is gonna go higher under this administration, then potentially Centene will end up benefiting. Obviously there's gonna be some puts and takes with the political risk associated with that. But I like the setup. You've got a W setup. It just pulled all, back, all the way back to the 200-day moving average. The 21-day and the 50-day are curling up right below it. And again, solid top and bottom line growth for it. Yeah, one thing I would just add there is uh, I heard earlier this week that uh, they're adding another open enrollment period uh, in August. So that'll be, that'll be something to watch and should give a company like Centene some more tailwinds. Yep, and they do participate in that in um, in that private marketplace on the um, on healthcare.gov. Uh, Henry Sheen would be another one that you might want to pull up in that healthcare-oriented space, dental and medical supplies to office-based healthcare practitioners. Remember, Joe, not a lot of people were able to see their primary care doctors or specialists in the past year because of COVID restrictions. As more of us are getting vaccinated and we start to return back to their primary cares. There's going to be a lot of pent up referrals and visits to other doctors and all sorts of stuff that theoretically could boost demand for products sold by Henry Sheen. 19% year over year revenue growth in the December quarter. You've got earnings per share going in 2020 uh, to 2021 up about 25%. And then chart formation again is pretty nice. You've got this nice W set up and you've got this pullback right here back towards the 50 day moving average. And then just looking down here on this list, you can see there's a bunch more. We won't go through all of them, um, but you can see there's a few different names, more names down here that you could consider. Um, one that you might want to take a look at is Sherwin-Williams. Sherwin-Williams, obviously the painting company. You know, we have rural home sales are very strong and, you know, people have discretionary money in their pocket from stimulus and higher wages tied to improving job growth. And that translates oftentimes into remodeling. And you know that's good for demand for, for both interior and exterior paint. So you get Sherwin-Williams grew 9% year over year in the December quarter. And you know 231% EPS growth from 2020 to 2021. That's, that's kind of crazy because of COVID. But you, know, you look going forward uh, in 2022 expected to go up about 10%. And then on the chart formation here, I think that what I would want to see, Joe, is if we can close above 254, and then the next down day that you get, <clears throat> buy it off of that. So we move above 254, that gets us into our pivot. Then maybe we pull back towards that 252, 251, and then you could buy it there and go. So I think that's probably a pretty good smattering in how to use those highlighted stocks that show up in our best source reports. Yeah, so there, there you go. Take, <laughs> take it and run this week, everybody. So we're, we're going to leave it there. And we will uh, talk to you all next week. Take care, everybody.